0: The Lord spoke to Moses Say to the Israelites, any Israelite or alien residing in Israel who gives any of his children to Moloch must be put to death. The people of the country are to stone him. I will turn against that man and cut him off of his people because he gave his offspring to Moloch, defiling my sanctuary and profaning my holy name. But if the people of the country look the other way, when that man gives any of his children to Molech and do not put him to death, then I will turn against that man and his family and cut off from their people both him and all who follow him in prostituting themselves with Molech. Whoever turns to mediums or spiritists and prostitutes themselves with them, I will turn against that person and cut him off of his people. Consecrate yourself and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sets you apart. Well, church, what a passage that we have to dig into today Welcome back. exactly yeah, but first of all, I just want to say uh, how much I love you church it 's great to be back it 's great to worship, and what uh, a way to set the stage for opening our hearts to the Word of God, but to uh, worship so powerfully today, and thank you for those that were leading us in that. Uh, yeah, so this passage is uh, is serious and a little bit um, yeah, hard to apply to our current lives, and so as we, we begin to look at that, uh, those scriptures, let's pray together and seek God's guidance. God, thank you. Uh, thank you that you speak to us through your word. Thank you that the truths of your word are timeless. And so we do ask your, your guidance, your Holy Spirit, uh, that we would look at these scriptures and, and see your truth and apply it to our lives to live for your glory. Amen. Well, as we start to uh, explore these eight verses in Leviticus 20, I want to frame this discussion around the idea of false spirituality. And it's important to start with this idea that we are spiritual beings. We are spiritual beings. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard this quote that says, you do not have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. Sometimes it gets attributed to C.S. Lewis, but I don't think he said that according to the research I did. now. I don't really like that dualism. I don't like the way it it separates out body and spirit. I think when we look at the scriptures, a better way to say it is we are both body and spirit. We are created people by God's design, physical and spiritual. And the two can't uh, can't be separated in God's uh, design. And um, a great. A great uh, expression of this is from uh, the 17th century theologian Blaise Pascal. And he said this, "Uh, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man, which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. In other words, every person throughout time and over the whole world. We were made by God to have this spiritual connection to God. And until we find him, there's a part of us missing, because we are spiritual beings. Now, we can see this evidence in our own lives. You can see uh, the, the understanding of the fact that you're a spiritual being when you look at like, your emotions, specifically some of the deepest emotions. Love, for instance. Uh, love is one of those aspects of the human life that some secular scientists try really hard to explain by chemicals, but it transcends that. It's a part of who we are as spiritual beings. And and I don't know if you've had this experience, but most of us, we experience something in our lives and we get this sense that there is something greater, that there is something that transcends this... uh, physical experience. There's something greater. Even those that don't know to put the the name to it as as God the creator, they have this sense that there's something greater. Also, you can you can understand that we're spiritual beings just by looking at history. Look at the cultures all around the world throughout time. And every one of those cultures has sought after a spiritual element in there in their living, in their structure of their community. It is a very recent phenomenon that Europe and America have rejected spirituality on the whole. Um, For most most cultures around the world, that's not been the case. So that search points to the fact that we're spiritual. And it is important to recognize this is no accident. We have been created by God to be spiritual beings. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has put eternity into man's heart. So in our passage then, as we talk about how the, uh, the Israelites were influencing their spiritual lives by these, these pagan practices, God uses a metaphor for this kind of false spirituality. It's a very stark and, and shocking metaphor. The metaphor is prostitution. He says several times just in those eight verses that uh, when, you, when his people would follow these idolic practices, they have prostituted themselves and, uh, to these other gods. And it, it's this same word uh, applies to uh, adultery in other texts in the Bible. And so it's the same label given to those marital infidelities. So idol worship is adultery against God. And here's a, a quote from one theologian uh, that talks about the root uh, meaning of this word zana, which means prostitute oneself. It's used in, throughout the Bible in sexual context for marital infidelity. Uh, so it's throughout the Old Testament, we see this connection uh, from, for, for this marital infidelity to the worship of other gods, and it really hits home when you think about the uh, the relationship that God has with his people as a covenant relationship and this metaphor goes on into the New Testament as christ 's relationship to the church is described as marriage, and so if we, are, if we have this, uh, this connection to God in this deep covenant relationship, then uh, describing idol worship as prostitution or adultery drives home, impresses on us the seriousness of false spirituality. So also impressing upon us the seriousness are the penalties what are the penalties for false spirituality? Those people who uh, engaged in idol worship, were they just uh, sat down and had a stern talking to, Were they just uh, sent to a timeout outside the camp, which was the practice for other impurities and, and things, Were they just um, given a cold shoulder, like a silent treatment? No one talked to them. They are idol worshipers. No. The penalty was death, capital punishment, and not the kind of death that we, uh, we would hope for in in kind of evolved countries where, uh, that still carry out capital punishment, where it's supposed to be quick and relatively painless and very humane. No, that's not the way God instructed his people to put to death idol worshipers. It was by stoning. And stoning wasn't done. Uh, kind of secluded and away from the people. No, the people gathered around and threw stones at the individual until they were dead. And this is a slow, painful, uh, bloody, gruesome way to enact capital punishment. But there's, there are reasons for it. Part of the reason is that it needs to be a warning. It needs to be to, to highlight God's wrath against idolatry. Uh, as well as the, the warning to the community that this, uh, this is a communal threat, a danger to God's people. So that was part of the penalty. But there were some uh, even uh, symbolic and, um, and, and significant other punishments. So God describes the idolater to be cut off from the community of God. Uh, the, the word means vomited out. God was vomiting out the person from the community of God. It also included ending one's participation in the promises of God. Now, the, Israel was God's promised people, all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. The people of God were promised. And these forefathers lived on that promise for generations. And then once the the sons of Israel were born and and the people started to flourish, this was the promised people. Even as they went into Egypt, into slavery, they held on to that. We are the promised people of God. He will deliver us. And then as they were in the wilderness and moving toward the promised land, this was the promised people given a promised inheritance. And so to be cut off from that was no light thing, uh, including their place in the promised land, there were family distributions, and to be cut off from that, including the lineage that their family would carry. Now, it's important to notice that God didn't just give warnings and penalties for the individual idolater, but to anyone in the community who ignored, covered over, looked the other way, or even fo- or definitely followed in those practices. The same penalties were to be enacted. And the reason is because God's promised covenant people were not siloed individuals. The relationship between God and his people is not solely between an individual. It's the collective group. And the threat of idolatry infiltrating the group of people threatened the whole community. The relationship with God is for all his people. So if the, uh, the metaphor is so shocking and the penalties are so severe, really, what, what is the big deal about uh, false spirituality, especially as it starts? we start to move the connection closer to our own hearts? Well, the big deal starts with holiness. As we talked last week, uh, God has set his people apart to be holy unto himself. If you missed last week's sermon, you need to go back and listen to it. Uh, Aaron covered all aspects of God's holiness. But the main thing is that we see we are called to be God's holy people, set apart, and that our holiness is an outflow of God's holiness given to us through relationship. So living for other gods, giving your heart, your worship, to other gods, it shatters that holiness of God on display in his people. It means that we are no longer set apart to God apart from other peoples and other gods. So the big deal has to do with holiness. The big deal also has to do with who God is, the very nature of God. We recognize, even as we're singing today, we're singing that God is our one creator. There is no other No other deity, being who could, by their own power, create all that is but the one true God. Also, God is our one source, source of life and blessing and guidance. There is no one else to whom we should turn, to fill us with all that we need, to give us all sufficiency for how we should live and act and thrive. God is our one object of worship, The scripture says there is no God before him. We worship the highest God. There is no other. The Bible describes God as the King of kings, the Lord of lords. All other powers and beings, no matter how great, they bow to the one true God. And so our worshiping of other gods removes God from the place in our hearts and our lives that none other deserves. Finally, as we think about what is the big deal about false spirituality, false false spirituality threatens the relationship we have with God. God has made a covenant people. It started with the forefathers, then Israel, and then now the engrafted followers of Jesus. Some people wrongly think God had a covenant with the people of Israel, and now God has a covenant with the church. It's not true. God has had one covenant. And those of us who are believers now in the New Testament, we've been grafted in to that one covenant. And so we are part of the people of the covenant with God. And and God describes this as an everlasting covenant. This is the relationship he's created for us and provided the way for us. And so giving our worship to another rejects this covenant. It says, "I want a different relationship with another being." And so here's a here's a quote about belonging to God. And it says, "You." This is a quote. This is uh, the beginning of the quote. Is from Leviticus twenty twenty six. You shall be holy to me, for I Yahweh am holy, and I have separated you from the peoples that you should belong to me. This verse explains. Uh, Chapters 18 and 20 serve to separate Israel from the detestable religious customs of the nations. And chapter 19 sets out the life that accords with Israel's cultic access to Yahweh uh, for the sake of belonging to Him. We belong to the one true God. We must not let idolatry threaten that relationship. So, how did this false spirituality manifest itself in Israel? We read, we read these verses. And it's, they're shocking to us. We, we hate to believe that God's covenant chosen people would be involved in such vile, detestable practices. So surely, as God was giving them these warnings, the people said, wow, we will not follow those practices. Surely that's what they did, right? Well, it's not true. Israel repeatedly gave themselves over to idol worship, as described here in chapter 20. Uh, specifically mentioned here is the, the worship to Molech uh, and, and sacrificing their children as an act of worship to the false god Molech. Leviticus eighteen twenty one says, you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech. Now, I don't want to go into too much depth about what that sacrifice was like. There are uh, archaeological discoveries and various uh, understandings of what it meant to pass your child through the fire to the false god, Molech. But uh, passing through the fire obviously was an abominable practice in which the people sought to appease this false god by sacrificing their children in fire. Uh, Molech, oftentimes uh, spelled different ways. Uh, maybe a way to think of who this god, this false guy was is like the personified ruler of shameful sacrifice. The, the meaning of his name is King. He was the chief national god of the nation of the Ammonites, one of the peoples that Israel was supposed to displace. But their idol worship and the warnings against idol worship didn't just uh, revolve around Molech. There were other gods and, uh, and other gods of other peoples around, uh, around the, the nation of Israel. So these manifestations of idolatry and false spirituality, they were a perpetual problem for Israel. They, uh, they never moved past this From the whole Old Testament, Um, it begins. Here are some examples that we see that even as the as Jacob and his wives were leaving uh, leaving their uncle Laban to go and and move back to the promise uh, to the, the area where they were going to live out the promises of God. Rachel stole Laban's house idols to carry them with her into this new territory uh, to continue the idol worship in their, uh, their new land. Uh, and then, of course, as God was delivering the, uh, the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, he was their deliverer God. He took them uh, to Mount Sinai where he called Moses to the top. And he was proclaiming to Moses all of the details of how his covenant people would live out the covenant. And as he was doing that, down at the base of the mountain, while God was describing the covenant, they were abandoning the covenant. They were forming for themselves a false god after the gods of Egypt by casting a a golden calf, and then worshiping around that golden calf with detestable practices rejecting the one true God. And they, their hearts yearned to go back to Egypt, partly because they, they didn't trust God to care for them. But also, that was the land of, of worship of false gods. And they were willing to sacrifice their relationship to the one deliverer God to return to the land of false gods. And then, during, uh, the time of the judges, there's the warrior Gideon, the hero who delivered, by God's grace, delivered the people from the Philistines. Hero and sad ending to Gideon's life as he turned to idolatry. Uh, it was It's a really tragic story. King Solomon, the wisest man to ever walk the earth, wisest king ever given to Israel, blessed son of King David. And God had given him supernatural wisdom. All the nations around were coming to Solomon to gain his wisdom, to get his uh, judgments. And because of that, they were pouring in money and blessings into Solomon's kingdom. Wise beyond human standards. Wealthy, uh, wealthier than anyone else on earth. And, and having the voice of God even speaking directly to him. And God had warned him do not marry the, wives, marry the daughters of the surrounding nations because they worship false gods and they will, they will steal your heart away from the one true God. Solomon, in all his wisdom, rejected God's guidance. Married 700 wives, had 300 concubines. And toward the end of his time, he, his heart was swayed away from God and to the false idols. He even built uh, places of worship up on the, the mountains to, uh, for his wives to go and worship their false gods. And he was drawn into that worship as well. And all the following kings of Israel, even after the split of the kingdoms Judah and Israel, uh, the descriptions are there of all the idolatry that the kings would lead the people into. And then the prophets, the book of the prophets uh, is just describing God appealing over and over to the kings and to the people, leave your idolatry and come back to me in this relationship. And God would send punishments and warnings and they would, they would not listen until finally God sent them into exile. So this idolatry was a perpetual problem uh, for Israel. But God even describes other Manifestations of False Spirituality, in our passage that he describes engaging mediums and spiritists. This idea that you are uh, talking to the dead or talking to spirits for guidance and blessing and, uh, and you know, the aspects of direction in your life that belong to God alone. And there's a really interesting example of this uh, where King Saul went to engage a spiritist, a medium. Uh, Now, King Saul had access to the prophets of God. He could have listened to God's message, but he wanted a message that was in line with what he wanted. So he went to this medium. And we don't know if she was a charlatan or if she really could engage in the spirits. But he asked her to call up a particular spirit without revealing who he was and the uh, the, the spirit of Samuel, the prophet who had been dead, uh, appeared in some way and and uh, admonished Saul, say, God has told you not to do these things, and you are the people you 're the, the leader of the people of God, and here you are seeking after these things that are ungodly, so engaging mediums and spirits spiritists, uh, and then finally, the warning against this false spirituality included. Imitating the, the pagan practices of the surrounding cultures. Uh, so even if they weren't intentionally uh, worshiping false gods, but just bringing in these practices that, that connected to the pagan cultures. That's how you get prohibitions against tattoos and piercings and shaving your head in certain ways. It's because it was imitating the pagan cultures around, and specifically, all of the detestable sexual activities I'm so glad that Pastor Aaron preached on that a few weeks ago. <laughs> so I don't have to describe those, even though they're, they're repeated here in chapter 20. But the point is that God, God had to spell it out for the people, things that we know are detestable that would turn our stomach to, to think through those sexual practices. But they were imitating the, the cultures of pagan worship all around them. And so if you have all these manifeta- manifestations of false spirituality in Israel, well, what about us? We are so far removed from these foreign ideas of passing your children through fire to a false god and practicing uh, pagan sexual rituals and, and uh, bowing your knees in worship to statues of idols and false gods. This is foreign to us. How on earth can this passage apply to our lives? Well, that kind of thinking will lead us to certain blind spots in our lives. Because the same wandering heart of the Israelites can be found in us sometimes. That we want to replace on the throne of our heart a place that only God should sit. We want to replace him with other things. And so let's think about that. What are some of the dangers and threats for us? Uh, One is a spiritualism that is divorced from the one true God. We see a lot of this in our culture. As I already mentioned, uh, Europe and America has left the the worship of God behind. And we're we're supposed to be this evolved culture. We don't need religion. We don't need God. There's a, a rise of atheism. But you know what? There is a rise of atheism and a shift toward some spiritualism that is divorced from the one true God. Because as I said, we are spiritual people, and people long for that. And so you get things like cults uh, that, that maybe take a grain of truth and twist it all around to, to serve their own purposes. You get witchcraft, which is increasingly popular. Uh, witchcraft that says, I want to seek power or influence or control uh, or some uh, direction in my life by appealing to secrets and appealing to these knowledges that are passed down that, that go beyond our human understanding. There, there are even some groups, and I don't want to step on toes, but uh, certain groups like the Masons and the Shriners, where there's this veneer of worshiping God, but you go deeper, and there, there are practices and beliefs and things that, that point to a spiritualism divorced from the one true God. You get celestial worship, reading horoscopes and tarot cards and saying, there is this, there is this power beyond what we know, but it's not attributed to God. And so we appeal to that power. There's uh, even the paranormal where you're trying to get in contact with those who are dead or ghosts or have these uh, interactions with people. Even worshiping uh, the created order itself. Uh, Sometimes it's this ambiguous universal power. Have you ever heard someone say, I don't believe in God or Jesus, but I just let the universe guide me. Well, what on earth is that? Where does the universe have power to guide you if there's not a power giver, if there's not one above all of that? And you even get it in comic books where you have uh, these levels of deities and gods. And you know what? They never end. There is no supreme being. Well, we understand that to be spiritualism divorced from the one true God. You get things like neo paganism that starts to recapture some of the excitement and the mystery of pagan cultures of the past. You get uh, secular humanism. Now, this one might sound, how is this spiritualism? Well, it's this idea that human beings, mankind, are the, the highest being, the ultimate being. And everything serves humanity. And so that is a form of false spirituality. And so we see that danger for us, but maybe closer to home for you and I, is the danger of idolatry of the heart. So we're not setting up physical statues and images that we worship, but we take God off the throne of our heart and we put something else there. And it could be anything, anything you have a proclivity to, anything that's, that's trying to grab your heart, uh, some love, some other love that's trying to edge out God for your time, your resources, your devotion, when you put that thing on your heart. You might even find yourself sacrificing God's good, good gifts for this other love, whether it's sacrificing your family, your health, your person, personal spiritual life, uh, the gifts God's given you to bless other people. You're sacrificing those things for this other love Maybe you're looking to other sources for direction, inspiration, motivation, peace, comfort, whatever you want to fill in. The things that only God can supply you. And you begin to look to other sources for that. That's that's an indication you have an idol of the heart. Finally, there's another danger for us. And maybe this is a little more of a danger for younger people. And it is flirting with evil. You know, with modern technology, we are closer than ever to the evil in our world. In other words, every one of us carry a portal to evil in our pocket. You know what I'm talking about? Right? And we're on there all day long. It's a portal to evil. And we flirt with that we even those of us that want to have purity in our lives or want to follow god somehow we just get closer and closer to the edge we have a fascination fascination with uh with maybe death or the occult or human suffering think of you know uh torture uh, torture uh kind of uh movies and horror movies like that or um maybe we totally ignore the reality of the spiritual realm. And so we say, well, I can, I can flirt with these things. I can, I, can be, I can have these influences in my life, and they're not, they're, they're not tied to any reality. Well, the Bible says that there are spiritual beings who have uh, a desire to influence you away from God and toward evil. The Bible describes those as fallen angels those who rejected worshiping God and now serve the enemy, Uh, including uh, scriptures that say these are rulers and authorities and powers. Now, they don't have any control over us or power over us as followers of Jesus. But there there are levels of influence that if we give our hearts over to them, their influence can lead us astray. Uh, I would say anyone who says, I'm immune to the influence of evil, uh, should take warning because eventually you'll find yourself, after you've flirted with evil long enough, you'll find yourself to be compelled or controlled or addicted to, to these sources of evil and your heart will f- fall further and further away from the Lord. Now, maybe you want to live for God and you try to walk uh, a path of holiness But you kind of like some of these other things. And you try to squeeze them under your life living for God. And and the idea here is called syncretism, where you try to incorporate or sync up other kind of spiritual things with the one true gospel of Jesus Christ and the, the way God has given us to live for him. And so you think, oh, this is kind of harmless. I'm going to sneak it in there. And it begins to erode the foundation of your worship of the one true God. It begins to edge out God on the throne of your heart. And so we must be careful when we start to move things in to our spiritual life. So how, how do we move on from here? How, where do we go with this truth? Well, first of all, we need to remember God's grace. There is no situation that is hopeless. No one that has fallen into uh, idolatry, even at its worst, is beyond the reach of God and His grace. Whatever your history is, your past, the pains, the scars, whatever your present is, God's grace is sufficient. Give your heart over to the grace of God, and He can deliver you. So we need to recognize the seriousness of false spirituality. It it is a serious thing. Uh, God speaks strongly against it. So then repent. Repent of giving your hearts and your lives over over to other loves. Repent of setting up a false god on the throne of your heart. And, And probably one of the most significant steps we can take is to enjoy and pursue this relationship God's given us. It means that one of the steps to removing false spirituality of your life is put God back on the throne of your heart, to enjoy the love that he gives you, the the grace he gives you, all through Jesus Christ. There's this temptation to feel ashamed in front of God, to feel, I must fix all of my life before God can accept me again. And that's not how grace works. God gives you the grace. And as you live in that, then he begins to work that out to correct where we needed to be corrected in our lives. So ultimately, my my, uh, admonition for all of us is that we would guard the throne of our hearts, that God alone would sit on that throne. Will you pray, pray with me now? Lord, you know. Uh, the inclination of our hearts, even those of us that want to serve you faithfully, God, you know that we have wandering hearts. Help us not to judge Israel so harshly that we forget where our hearts lead us sometimes. Lord, would you reveal to us in these moments of response and singing out praise to you and and taking on uh, into ourselves the remembrance of Christ through the communion, would you reveal in our hearts those other loves that we've let pull us away from you? Would you reveal uh, to us what it is we're setting up on the throne of our hearts where you alone should sit? And then, God, in your grace, would you move us back into a right relationship with you? Would you guard our hearts for us? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.